ان الحمد لله نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونعوذ بالله من شرور انفسنا وسيئات اعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له واشهد ان لا اله الا الله وحده لا شريك له واشهد ان محمدا عبده ورسوله اما بعد so the last time then we were talking about the rulings of Eid prayer what are the different rulings of the Eid prayer how is the Eid prayer supposed to be prayed what are the various things that are connected to the Eid prayer that we all did the last time today then the discussion is about another type of particular prayer in Islam and that is the eclipse prayer so we know that there is the eclipse prayer and that occurs obviously at the time when an eclipse occurs so today we're going to discuss this particular prayer what is this prayer how is this prayer prayed of course these are all now supererogatory prayers optional prayers we already talked about the five obligatory prayers the five prayers that you must pray every day that is the fajr in the morning before sunrise then the dhuhr which is just after the peak of the day then there is the asr which you have prayed just now in the late afternoon then there is the maghrib after sunset straight away and then the isha some while after the sunset when the twilight disappears those five you have to pray every day then these are now some of the other prayers islamically that are proven that are prayed at certain times only so this one is the eclipse prayer when an eclipse occurs then that is of course a great sign from allah a great sign from allah subhanahu wa ta'ala for the creation the occurrence of this eclipse in the Quran, Allah mentioned, Allah says in the Quran that He is the one who made the sun as a light and the moon as a light and he decreed certain movements for them the sun and the moon they have their certain movements so that you may know the number of years and accounts for example the moon we see it how it starts small and then it grows to a full moon and then it decreases again all of that indicating to us the passing of time and the passing of months, the lunar months. So Allah mentions here how He created all of those, all of the sun and the moon, and that He created them all upon truth. Similarly, Allah mentioned in another ayah, another verse of the Quran, وَمِنْ آيَاتِهِ اللَّيْلُ وَالنَّهَارُ وَالشَّمْسُ وَالْقَمَرُ لَا تَسْجُدُوا لِلشَّمْسِ وَلَا لِلْقَمَرِ وَاسْجُدُوا لِلَّهِ الَّذِي خَلَقَهُنَّ إِنْ كُنْتُمْ إِيَّاهُ تَعْبُدُونَ 
Allah says, from his signs, from his signs are the night and the day and the sun and the moon. Do not prostrate to the sun nor to the moon, but prostrate to Allah, the one who created them. So here Allah tells us from his great signs are the night and the day and the sun and the moon. Huge creations that Allah has created. But then he tells us do not worship them throughout history. Throughout history of mankind. There have been those who have worshipped the sun. There have been people who have worshipped the moon. There have been people who have worshipped fire, people who have worshipped light, all different types of things from the creation. Allah tells us these are all aspects of creation that Allah created. So do not worship the created things, rather worship the one who created them. And that is Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So the Shaykh goes on to say, Salatul Kusuf Sunnah Mu'akkada Bittifaq Al-Ulama. So the eclipse prayer is one of those recommended prayers. Sunnah Mu'akkada, meaning it is highly recommended. But as we said, it is not one of the five obligatory prayers. The five obligatory daily prayers are there. This eclipse prayer is an additional prayer that is prayed at the time of the eclipse and it's a highly recommended prayer that the Muslims should pray at that time by agreement of the scholars. So the eclipse of course it is a great sign from the signs of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and the eclipse occurred during the time of the Prophet Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam and when that eclipse occurred during the time of the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam it is mentioned that he went to the mosque quickly went to the mosque quickly and prayed that eclipse prayer and then he told them that the eclipse is a sign from the signs of Allah. And it is something that may cause fear. It brings fear to the people when they see this huge sign of the sun and the moon and the eclipse occurring and the light disappearing. And it is possible he mentions وَأَنَّهُ قَدْ يَكُونُ سَبَبُ نُزُولَ عَذَابِ النَّاسِ That it may be a cause for the punishment to descend upon the people. Uh, and so <clears throat> he prayed with them and made dua, supplicated to Allah, sought forgiveness from Allah. And these are the other types of righteous actions that were occurred or that were performed until that eclipse then disappeared. Previously, prior to Islam, prior to Islam, they used to believe that eclipses occur when somebody really important is born on the earth. 
They used to believe when somebody really important is born or somebody really important dies, an eclipse occurs at that moment. So they used to believe if some great future leader was born, an eclipse would occur at the time of his birth. Or if some great personality or individual of the world died, an eclipse would occur for him. That's what they used to believe. That eclipses occur for these great individuals of mankind when they are born or when they die. However, the Prophet Muhammad ﷺ clarified to the people when the revelation came to him from Allah that eclipses are not for that purpose. Eclipses do not occur due to some status of an individual due to some person of high ranking being born or dying. That is not the purpose of an eclipse and that is not why they occur. And instead, the reasoning is mentioned in fact in a hadith in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. The hadith, the narration where it talks about an occasion when an eclipse occurred when one of the children of the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, died. Of course you know, the Prophet Muhammad وسلم, all of his children died during his lifetime, except one daughter. Only one daughter from all of his children outlived him. And even she died about six months after him. During his lifetime, all of his other children died. He witnessed the death of all of his children during his lifetime bar that one daughter. So one of his children who was called Ibrahim, Ibrahim, when he died, an eclipse occurred that day. There was a solar eclipse on that day, the day when his son Ibrahim died. So the people began to say that this eclipse must have occurred as a sign of respect and honor to the death of the son of the Prophet. The son of the Prophet has died, and he was young at the time. The son of the Prophet has died, so this eclipse must be occurring now as a sign of respect and honor for the death of the son of the Prophet. That's what they began to say. But then the messenger, Muhammad wasallam, explained to them, that the sun and the moon are two great signs from the signs of Allah. They do not eclipse, either lunar eclipse or solar eclipse. That eclipse does not occur, he told them, due to the death of anyone or the birth of anyone. Even my own son, he's trying to tell them. Even my own son, the eclipse does not occur for that reason. So when you see an eclipse, if you see an eclipse occurring, then you need to recognize it's not because of the death of anybody important or the birth of anybody important. Nothing to do with that. That is simply a great sign from Allah to show you that indeed there is a creator of all of this universe. Eclipse, something as magnificent as that, doesn't just occur in of itself. 
So if you see that, فَفْزَعُوا إِلَى ذِكْرِ اللَّهِ وَإِلَى الصَّلَاةِ Then hasten to the remembrance of Allah and to the prayer. So it is legislated that the Muslims should pray the eclipse prayer when it occurs. Then, in another narration it mentions, you should carry on praying until the eclipse finishes. And in one narration, in Bukhari again, uh, the hadith of Abu Musa, he said, هَذِهِ الْآيَاتَ الَّتِي يُرْسِلِ اللَّهِ يُرْسِلُ اللَّهُ لَا تَكُونُ لِمَوْتِ أَحَدْ وَلَا لِحَيَاتِهِ These great signs that Allah sends you. You see this huge eclipse in the sky. These great signs from your Creator, they do not occur because of the death of anybody or the birth of anybody. But they are there to put some fear in you. And if you see that, then hasten to the remembrance of your Lord, of Allah, and to uh, supplicating to Him and seeking forgiveness from Him. So Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has caused these two great signs to occur. The lunar eclipses and the solar eclipses. When do you start praying exactly? As soon as the eclipse begins. When the eclipse begins, you begin praying. And you should continue up until that eclipse comes to an end. If somebody missed it, imagine now there was an eclipse. And you came to the mosque to join in the prayer for the eclipse, but you were late. Can you still pray after the eclipse has gone? Then no. This is a particular prayer which is done during the time of the eclipse. If you've missed it, then you've missed it. There's nothing upon you. There is no sin upon you. You've missed that particular prayer though because that prayer is at a set time. And if you've missed that set time, then you've missed it. There's nothing upon you, there's no sin upon you, but you've missed that particular prayer because that is only done at that particular time, during the actual occurrence of the eclipse. How do you pray that prayer, the eclipse prayer? It is two units, two raka'at. There are two units to that prayer, and you do the recitation out loud, the imam the person who is leading the prayer reads out loud and that is what the authentic opinion or the correct opinion regarding it is, as Shaykh Al-Fawzan mentions. In the first unit, in the first raka'ah, you begin with the fatiha, begin with the fatiha and then a long chapter of the Qur'an. You're supposed to recite a long chapter of the Qur'an. For example, Surah Al-Baqarah, or something equivalent to it. Surah Al-Baqarah, how many verses is it? Chapter of Baqarah, the first cha- or the second chapter of the Qur'an, it is how long? 250 odd, 260-odd verses. One of the longest chapters, a very long chapter of the Qur'an. So you're supposed to read one of the long chapters of the Qur'an. 
in that first unit in the first rak'ah. Then you do the, the ruku'ah, the bowing. And when you do the bowing, the ruku'ah, you're supposed to stay there for a long time. Supposed to be a long ruku'ah, a long bowing. Then you raise your head, Sami'allahu liman hamida rabbana wa lakal hamd, as you do. And after you stand up straight, then the rest of the prayer, you pray it as normal. How you normally pray the prayer down into sujood, sitting up again, second raka'ah. In where? Ah, okay. Sahih. So, after the ruku has been done, then just like the rest of it, of the prayer, this is the first description the Shaykh gives first. That after you've done your long recitation of like Surah Al-Baqarah, the chapter of Baqarah, once you've done all of that, then you raise, then you go down into the ruku'ah, then you raise your head, Sami'Allahu liman hamida rabbana wa lakal hamd, then after you rise up, just like any other prayer, ثُمَّ يَقْرَأَ الْفَاتِحَ وَصُورَةَ طَوِيلَ دُونَ الْأُولَى بِقَدْرِ سُورَةَ آلِ عِمْرَانِ So then you recite Fatiha and another surah after that, lesser, a chapter which is shorter than the first one that you read. Like Ali Imran, that chapter is shorter. Ali Imran being the chapter after Baqarah, that one is shorter than Baqarah. ثُمَّ يَرْكَعَ Then you go into the Rukur again, and make that long, and, but it is to be shorter than the first one. Then when you come out of it, And there is certain du'as that you can read there. Then after that you go into the two prostrations. And you make them long also. But you don't make the sitting in between them long. The prostrations are long, but the sitting in between is not long. Then the second raka'ah, again the same thing occurs where you have the recitation, then the ruku'ah, then the recitation, then the ruku'ah. Then the two prostrations after that, and then you do your final sitting. So what is the difference between that and a normal prayer? That it has an additional an additional recitation and therefore after it an additional ruku as well. An additional recitation and an additional bowing. So that is how you pray that eclipse prayer. That is how the Prophet Muhammad used to pray it. Uh, and that's mentioned in various narrations in Al-Bukhari, in Muslim, the books of those narrations, the books of those hadith about how the Prophet Muhammad used to do it. Is it prescribed to pray the eclipse prayer together in the mosque or do you pray it at home individually? Is that a prayer that should be done in congregation or is it a prayer that is done separately, independently? The sunnah, what is prescribed is that it is better, you should do it in congregation, that is how it is supposed to be done. It is possible to pray it independently by yourself, but it is superior 
and better that you come together and pray the eclipse prayer in congregation in the mosque. After the prayer is done and the eclipse has concluded, then the Imam, the person who led the prayer, should give some type of sermon. Should give some type of sermon to the people, some type of admonition to the people, some reminder to the people, and to remind them and warn them against negligence, to remind them of this great sign that Allah has shown them now, to show them how small a creation they are in this universe, and how these huge, huge creations of the sun and the moon, how they cross their paths and the light disappears, is a great sign from Allah. So to remind the people, do not be negligent in your lives. Do not be negligent in your lives. Do not waste your lives. Use your lives in the remembrance and the worship of your Creator. And supplicate to Him. Call upon Him. Seek forgiveness from Him. So this is mentioned in the hadith of Aisha. Aisha who was the wife of the Prophet Muhammad. She mentioned that this is what the Prophet Muhammad used to do. He used to give that prayer, he used to do the prayer with them during the eclipse. Then after the prayer he would do a sermon to remind them all, now that they've seen this great sign occurring, to remind them not to be negligent and not to waste their lives, but to use their lives in the worship of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Shaykh al-Islam ibn Taymiyyah mentioned about the length of the prayer <clears throat> because sometimes the eclipse may not be a long eclipse, it may be something very short. Maybe a partial eclipse that finishes very quickly. Then in that case, you would accordingly make your prayer slightly shorter then. If you recognize it's only a partial eclipse and it's not going to be long, then you don't recite the long chapters, you would recite the smaller chapters to make your prayer uh, in accordance to the rough time period the eclipse is going to last. So that is basically the eclipse prayer, which is prayed at the time of the eclipse, lunar eclipse or solar eclipse. Then we move on to another type. Another type is Salatul Istisqa. Another type of optional prayer, not from the obligatory five a day. This is another type of supererogatory prayer, and it's the rain prayer. When drought is experienced, then Islamically we have been taught about a prayer that is done at the time of drought for the rain to come. So, when that occurs, when there is a drought and water is scarce and water is required, then you make dua, supplicate to Allah to uh, cause the rain to fall and the water to come. Previously, it's mentioned in the story of <coughs> Moses, in the story of Musa, mentioned in the Quran. In the Quran, it mentions the story of Musa when it says, وَإِذِسْتَسْقَى مُوسَى لِقَوْمِهِ Talks about the story on that occasion when Moses and his people, they were short on water, there was a drought, and that Musa, alayhi salam, 
he made that supplication, that prayer to Allah, istasqa, sought the rain to come, made dua and that prayer from Allah for the rain to come when they were experiencing that drought at the time. So this type of prayer, rain prayer, is something uh, legislated Islamically to do at the times of drought or at the times of shortfall in water. وَيُشْرَعُ الْإِسْتِسْقَى إِذَا أُجْدِبَتَ الْأَرْضِ أَمْحَلَتْ وَانْحَبَسَ الْمَطَرُ وَأَضَرَّ ذَلِكَ بِهِمْ So when do you pray this? It's not just any time. It's when there is an actual drought and the land is drying up. That's not really something we experience too much here. But in other parts of the world, of course, in the Middle East, that's very common. And every now and again, they may well pray this particular rain prayer, the istisqa prayer, after several weeks of drought. So when there is a shortage of rainfall and some type of drought does occur, then it's uh, prescribed to pray this prayer. So the Shaykh goes on, فَلَا مُنَاصٍ لَهُمْ أَنْ يَتَضَرَّعُوا إِلَىٰ رَبِّهِمْ وَيَسْتَسْقُوهُ وَيَسْتَغِيثُوا بِأَنْوَعَ مِنَ التَّضَرُّعِ So you can call upon Allah, either it could be in the congregational prayer, or it can be independently again. It can be by making dua in the khutbah of Jum'ah. يَدْعُ الْخَطِيبُ وَالْمُسْلِمُونَ يُؤْمِنُونَ عَلَىٰ دُعَائِهِ So the khatib, the one giving the sermon, he can make that supplication and that prayer for the rain and everybody says Ameen, says Ameen after the Imam. Sometimes even after the obligatory prayer, the Imam may make a supplication, may make a supplication for the rain uh, and that is possible, it's mentioned as well. وَحُكُمْ صَلَاةُ الْإِسْتِسْقَاءِ What's the ruling on this prayer? Again, it's not one of the five obligatory prayers. It is a supererogatory prayer, an optional prayer. سُنَّ مُؤَكَّدَ Again, highly emphasized that you should pray it in that time of need. خَرَجَ النَّوِي سَلَّمْ يَسْتَسْقِي فَتَوَجَّهَ إِلَى الْقِبْلَ يَدْعُوا وَحَوْلَ حَوَّلَ رِدَاءَهِ ثُمَّ صَلَّ رَكَعَتَيْنِ جَهَّرَ فِيهِمَا بِالْقِرَاءَةِ made the dua for the rain, faced the qibla, alternated his garment, uh, uh, his garment swapped it around, facing the qibla, made the dua and then prayed two units of prayer, reciting out loud in those two units of prayer. And that is mentioned in Al-Bukhari and Muslim. So how do you pray the rain prayer exactly then? صفة صلاة الاستسقاء في موضعها وأحكامها كصلاة العيد. How do you pray this rain prayer? It is actually the same as how you pray the Eid prayer. The same as how the Eid prayer is prayed. فيستحب فعلها في المصلى. So you should pray it outside of the mosque, not in the mosque. The rain prayer, Islamically speaking, it is just like the Eid prayer. The Eid prayer, is it better to pray in the mosque or outside of the mosque? Outside of the mosque. This prayer particularly also is another one where it is better to pray it outside in some field or somewhere you gather together 
and you pray outside. وأحكامها كأحكام صلاة العيد في عدد الركعات والجهر بالقراءة وفي كونها تصلى قبل الخطبة. Also in the Eid prayer is the prayer first or the sermon first? On Friday prayers, what comes first? The sermon comes first, the khutbah. Then after that is the actual prayer. That's every Friday. The Eid prayer, twice a year, it's the prayer first, and then after it is the, the sermon, the khutbah. In this rain prayer, that same way. It is the prayer first, and then the khutbah, the sermon after. And also, at the beginning of a normal prayer, you say, Allahu Akbar, and you start. In the Eid prayer, you add on an additional few. And there's a difference of opinion about how many. Normally six more in the first and five more in the second. In the rain prayer, the same way. So you would begin as Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar, Allahu Akbar. Repeated up to seven times and then up to six times in the second unit. Same as how you would do your Eid prayer. That is what the Shaykh mentions here. Ibn Abbas radiallahu anhuma says, Sallan Nabiyu sallam raka'ataini kama yusallil Eid. That the Prophet sallam prayed two units of prayer for the rain prayer, just like he used to pray Eid prayer. Same as how he used to pray the Eid prayer. In the first unit, you should recite the chapter, the surah of the Qur'an, Sabbihisma Rabbikal A'la. That particular surah of the Qur'an, Sabbihisma Rabbikal A'la. And in the second one, it should be, Hal Ataka Hadithul Ghashiyah. Those two chapters from the end of the Qur'an, they are the two that should be recited in that prayer. Ideally then, like we said, it should be prayed outside of the mosque. Of course, it's not a condition. It's not a condition. It's acceptable in the mosque, but it's better outside of the mosque. And it's best to go and pray in some type of open area, uh, a desert area, some open area, where you are making that prayer and seeking that rain from, rainfall from Allah. Then the Shaykh goes on to say, وَإِذَا أَرَادَ الْإِمَامَ الْخُرُوجِ لِصَلَاةِ الْإِسْتِسْقَاءِ فَإِنَّهُ يَنْبَغِي أَنْ يَتَقَدَّمْ ذَلِكَ أَنْ يَتَقَدَّمَ ذَلِكَ تَذْكِيرَ النَّاسِ بِمَا يَلِينُ قُلُوبُهُمْ مِنْ ذِكْرِ ثَوَابِ اللَّهِ وَعِقَابِهِ وَيَأْمُرُهُمْ بِالتَّوْبَةِ مِنَ الْمَعَاصِي وَالْخُرُوجِ مِنَ الْمَظَالِمِ بِرَدِّهَا إِلَى مُسْتَحِقِّيهَا لِأَنَّ الْمَعَاصِي سَبَبٌ لِمَنْعِ الْقَطَرِ وَانْقِطَاعِ الْبَرَكَاتِ so when you're going to pray the istisqa prayer, the Shaykh says it is suitable for the Imam to remind everybody in advance to seek repentance for your sins, to seek forgiveness for your sins, because sins, sinning of the people may be a cause for that drought to have occurred. Allah may have caused that drought to occur due to the sins of the people. So it is suitable for the Imam to remind everybody to seek forgiveness for your sins, to seek, uh, ask Allah to give you uh, forgiveness for what you have done from, from wrong and error and sin. Also during the sermon, the khutbah, the Imam should 
remind them a lot regarding seeking forgiveness and seek forgiveness during that sermon uh, and recite ayat that are applicable to that meaning because all of that is from the means of the rainfall coming to seek forgiveness for your sins and your shortcomings to seek forgiveness for your sins all of that will be a means for the dua to be accepted, for your supplication to be accepted, for your prayer to be accepted, and for the rain to fall. And you know, there's that narration, that event which occurred on one occasion with the Prophet Muhammad He was giving the sermon and somebody walked in from the Bedouins who were living in the outskirts with their cattle and those types of things. He came in and he said, we've got a drought. And it hasn't rained and the paths are all drying up and the leaves are drying up and our cattle are suffering. So Muhammad, pray for us. Called upon the Prophet Muhammad asking him, pray for us. The rain prayer. So in that sermon, in that khutbah, the Prophet prayed for the rain. It mentions in that story, in that event, in that hadith, that as the man turned around and walked out, the clouds began to form and the rain fell heavy. So much so that the man came back later on, uh, a week later, came back later on and he said, O Messenger of Allah, there is so much rain that now we're struggling because of the rain. Rain everywhere on the, on the pathways and everywhere. Make dua and supplicate that it be upon the valleys and the fields and those areas and not to cause a problem in the other areas with great amounts of water. So the point of that being that the rainfall dua was made, that prayer was made by the Prophet Muhammad and the rain it came. And there are other examples of that as well where even after the death of the Prophet Muhammad on one occasion they had a drought and they went to who? Abbas himself, they went to the uncle of the Prophet ﷺ, Abbas, and they asked him to make the prayer for the rain, the, the uh, Salatul Istisqa or the prayer for the rain. So that is another type of prayer which is established and proven Islamically at the times of drought, at the times of a lack and shortage of water, then you make this particular prayer for the rain. It's a prayer which is ideally prayed, better prayed outside of the mosque and it's prayed in the same way as the Eid prayer. Then we'll move on to the third category today and that is the Janazah prayer. The prayer that you pray when a Muslim dies. Whenever a Muslim dies then it is what's known as Fard Kithaya that at least some Muslims have to go and pray the prayer upon that deceased Muslim. If all, imagine now somebody in this community of Muslims died and nobody bothered to come and pray the janazah prayer, that prayer of death of that deceased person, the prayer upon him, nobody did it. Then all of you would be sinners. But if a group of you came and did it, that removes the responsibility from the collective. It's a type of obligation in Islam that as long as some people do it, it removes the responsibility from the collective. 
Whereas the five obligatory prayers, every single person has to do it. It can't just be that a, a group of Muslims come and do it and it removes the sin from everybody else. The five obligatory prayers, every single person got to do it themselves. But the prayer of Janazah, when a Muslim dies, as long as some of the community comes and prays for him, when he dies, it removes the responsibility and sin from everybody else. But if everybody in the community failed to come and do it, nobody came and did it, then there would be sin upon everybody in the community. So it's a type of obligation where as long as some Muslims come and do it, it covers the collective group of the community of Muslims in that area for whom the death has occurred within. So this is another type of prayer Islamically then. It is the Janazah prayer. Uh, there are various rulings regarding the Janazah prayer. Uh, Islamic rulings on what to do and how to do things when a Muslim dies. Uh, how you actually pray the prayer, how the burial is carried out. There are various things that take place. But we'll just briefly begin today. We'll carry on with it next Saturday. Briefly beginning now then. The Shaykh mentions, إِنَّ شَرِيعَتَنَا وَلِلَّهِ الْحَمْدِ كَامِلَ شَامِلَ لِمَصَالِحِ الْإِنسَانِ فِي حَيَاتِهِ وَبَعْدَ مَمَاتِهِ This religion of Islam, it caters for the life of a Muslim during your lifetime and even after your death. Because even after you die, Islamically, the rest of the Muslims are told what they need to do and how they need to do it for that Muslim who has died in their community. So Islam, it covers you and your life and even your death and what needs to be done at the time of your death. Uh, so from the moment where you're in your last moments, you're on your last breaths, there are narrations from the Prophet Muhammad telling us what happens in those final moments, how the angels, they descend upon you to take your soul. So all of these details are given to us Islamically about what happens at the moment of death and what we need to do when somebody dies. Al-Imam Ibn al-Qayyim, one of the great scholars of the past, from a few centuries ago, he says, كَانَ هَدْيُهُ صَلَى اللَّهُ عَلَيْهِ وَسَلَّمْ فِي الْجَنَائِزْ أَكْمَلِ الْهَدِي مُخَالِفًا لِهَدِي سَائِرِ الْأُمَمْ مُشْتَمِلًا عَلَى إِقَامَةِ الْعُبُودِيَّةِ لِلَّهِ تَعَالَى عَلَى أَكْمَلِ الْأَحْوَالِ وَعَلَى الْإِحْسَانِ لِلْمَيِّتِ وَمَعَامَلَتِهِ بِمَا يَنْفَعُهُ فِي قَبْرِهِ وَيَوْمِ مَعَادِهِ مِنْ عِيَادَةٍ وَتَلْقِينٍ وَتَطْهِيرٍ وَتَجْهِيزٍ الإمام ابن القيم says Islamically we've been taught all of the procedures to give an honorable uh, an honorable final state for that person who has died so even when a person is dying a person, a Muslim is on their final breaths then it is prescribed Islamically that you remind them to say their testimony of faith. Remind them to say their testimony of faith. That does not necessarily mean that you go and tell them, say it, say the testimony of faith. Not particularly like that. The scholars, they say, you go to a person who's in their final breaths and maybe you start saying it yourself. So the person hears you and remembers to say the testimony of faith, the shahada, prior to dying themselves. 
So even at the point of death, you remind them in a way that will remind them to say that. Even if a person is non-Muslim, even if a person is non-Muslim, you may go if that person is somebody maybe you've been talking to, maybe that person is somebody who might accept even in those final moments, you never know. There are examples from the Prophet Muhammad his own uncle, who wasn't a Muslim, the uncle of the Prophet Muhammad Abu Talib, he wasn't Muslim. And when he was on his deathbed, the Prophet Muhammad went to him, went to him, and encouraged him to say the testimony of faith, to say the shahada before dying. However, there were two of the mushrikeen, the polytheists, those non-Muslims who were worshipping the idols and the sun, the moon, etc. They were there as well. And when they heard the Prophet Muhammad trying to convince his uncle to die as a Muslim, they began trying to convince him to stay as a Mushrik, to stay as a polytheist, worshipping those other idols. And in the end, Abu Talib, the uncle of the Prophet did actually die, remaining upon what he was upon and didn't accept Islam. So he died as a non-Muslim and he will be in the Hafaya as it's mentioned. There's another example though. On one occasion, there was a Jewish boy who used to help the Prophet Muhammad in his chores and things. He was a young Jewish boy. He used to be around the Prophet at the time. And the Prophet used to allow him to help him and do bits and bobs. Something happened to this young Jewish boy. He became ill. Hadith mentions it in the, in the events. He became ill and so the Prophet went to visit him. So this young Jewish boy now, some disease, whatever's happened, he's ill, he's on his deathbed. He's in his final moments. The Prophet Muhammad went to him. And obviously, they have a relationship. The Jewish boy knows him. He's been helping the Prophet doing chores and other bits and bobs. He knows him. So the Prophet Muhammad says to him, die upon Islam, encourages him about the shahada, about the testimony of faith. When the Prophet Muhammad said that to the boy, obviously he's still a boy yet. The first thing he thinks, first thing he does is what? He looked around to his father. His father was Jewish too. So he looked at his father, thinking, what's my father going to do? Is he going to allow me to do this? Is he not going to allow me to do this, to accept Islam and die as a Muslim or not? So when the Prophet Muhammad was there telling him, die as a Muslim, accept the Shahada, worship Allah alone, the boy looked at his father. His father, what did he do? He said to his boy, Ati' Abul Qasim. Obey Abul Qasim. Abul Qasim, the Prophet said, obey him, obey him. And so the boy accepted Islam before dying. And so the Prophet said, look at how this individual, Allah has saved him. Right at the final moment, he accepted Islam and died upon Islam. So even a non-Muslim, if you know that, you can go and you can try. Somebody you know, somebody who may accept. There's a, 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 an American who we know, he used to study with us in Medina. He was telling his grandmother, who was old in age, telling his grandmother for a long time, I don't recall exactly how long, maybe years, trying to give her da'wah, trying to tell her about Islam and about worshipping Allah alone, about monotheism, tawheed, about the testimony of faith, none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, etc. She wasn't accepting. In the end, this American student, he said, one day, in the end, she actually accepted. She accepted Islam, she understood it, and it finally settled in her heart, and she accepted. And she became Muslim. 
He says she died three days later. Three days later she died. After having accepted the testimony of faith, accepted the shahada, accepted that none has the right to be worshipped except Allah, accepted and understood, قُلْ هُوَ اللَّهُ أَحَدَّ Allah is the one alone, no partners, no sons, no children, no, no aiders, no helpers, accepted it all and died upon Islam, three days later she died. And there's even examples of more than that. At the time of the Prophet Muhammad, is there not an example of somebody who accepted Islam, accepted Islam, will enter paradise as a consequence, but never even prayed a single prayer. Accepted Islam, there was a battle going on, accepted Islam and was killed in the battle straight after, never even got to pray a single prayer, but he died as a Muslim. Accepted Islam and died as a Muslim. So, the point here is, when a person does die then, there are certain aspects, certain things that need to be carried out, so that is one of them, you remind the person about the testimony, the shahada prior to death. After they die, Islamically then we need to wash that person's body. The private region is covered and the rest of the body is washed by the next of kin, etc. That washing takes place, then the shrouding takes place, then the actual grave that is dug. There is a certain method to digging that grave and the direction of the grave so that it's facing towards the Kaaba, the Qibla, Mecca. Uh, uh, and so all of these procedures are carried out and then there is the actual prayer that you pray to Allah for that deceased person asking Allah to forgive him and to enter him into paradise, etc. So that is the details that we're going to be looking into now. Before we go into the details of how to pray the prayer itself, there is a brief introduction which talks about death. So firstly, as a Muslim, you should often remember death. You should think about death and remember death because that is something that could come at any moment. Death could come at any moment to an individual. So you regularly think about that. And there is a hadith which says, أَكْثِرُوا مِن ذِكْرِ هَذِ مِن You should plentifully, often, Remember the destroyer of desires. What is it that destroys your desires? Death. In this world full of glitter and bliss and all different types of things, a person's soul desires all of the different things of this world and the bliss or the bliss and the glitter of this world. But what stops all of that? What stops you in your tracks chasing after this world? Death. Death comes and that is it. So that destroys your desires. So remember death a lot and it will destroy your desire for seeking after the world and chasing after worldly gains and benefits. And you'll remember that you're here only temporarily. A few years that will go in the blink of an eye. From when you were a child, you remember your days like it was yesterday. And now tomorrow you'll be in your grave. Blink of an eye and this life goes. So remember death because that will keep you in check basically. Remember death and it will keep you in check. It will keep you in check and destroy those desires that you may be chasing after. So then he goes on to talk about when somebody is in the ill state, in their final moments. When somebody is in their final moments, if you are that person, 
You are in your final moments and you recognize you're in your final moments. Upon you is to remain patient. Patience is one of the greatest virtues mentioned in Islam, mentioned in the Quran on multiple occasions, different chapters about patience. So you remain patient. You seek your reward from Allah, asking Allah to reward you and to forgive you for your sins. And you never lose hope or become despondent, never fall into a state of despondency and losing hope. Rather, you keep your hope in Allah and trust in Allah, asking for forgiveness in those final moments. And there is no issue in you informing the people that this may have occurred to you, that you're in your final moments, you're in your uh, final uh, uh, death, uh, possibly a possibility of death occurring. That is allowed to tell the people. That doesn't mean you're not being patient by telling the people. That is allowed to tell the people. But as long as you're not complaining and you're not upset and you haven't lost hope, but you are factually telling the people, this is my state and this could be uh, my time maybe soon. So, that is the type of state you should be in in your final moments, in a state of hope in Allah, asking for forgiveness and not losing hope. Similarly, you should, and, or not you should, but it is completely acceptable and allowed to use and to take whatever medicine and medical procedures that are available to you. The medical procedures, the medicines, to take that, and there is no issue in that, because some people seem to think that it's not allowed. Of course it is allowed to take medicines and medical procedures and whatever may be available to cure you or to attempt and aid in your cure, then that is permissible to use and that does not negate your trust in Allah. Some people may consider that it's a negation of your trust in Allah. It is not. It is not a negation of your trust in Allah if you use medical means to try and cure yourself. That is allowed. However, the medical cures, the medicines, procedures, they must be uh, halal. So you don't use medicines that are formed or created or derived from haram. So as long as the medicines are all halal and they are all permissible, then it's completely acceptable to use them. It is not permissible to use charms, the tamaim and talasim. People wear necklaces, lucky bracelets, lucky charms. That type of thing doesn't exist in Islam. We don't believe in lucky charms and lucky bracelets and these types of things. Rather, you believe in putting your trust in Allah. Allah is the one who controls everything, not your lucky charm or your lucky bracelet. So there's no such thing as these lucky charms and bracelets and whatever else. It is actually impermissible Islamically to wear them and to believe in them. Rather, you put your trust completely in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. So in those moments of death, you would not rely upon any lucky charms or any other type of luck. It's not about luck. It's about putting your trust in Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. And in those final moments, you do what you can, even then in your good deeds and your righteousness. What about for the rest of us? For the rest of us, it is Islamically prescribed, it is sunnah to visit those who are ill. That is something Islamically prescribed as a deed that should be done. That those who are ill, you go and visit them. 
In fact, it is mentioned in one hadith, in one narration, that the Prophet Muhammad mentioned that one of the rights that a Muslim has upon another Muslim, a right, is that if he becomes ill, you should go and visit him. You should go and visit him. And it's not something you should just abandon and not bother with. One of the Muslims becomes ill, you go and visit that person. So it is from the rights that you should visit the person who is ill, particularly if it is known that this person is in his final illness possibly. That's where we'll round off for today. The prayer is coming soon. We'll carry on from that section next week at the same time at 6.30 p.m. insha'Allah. So we'll round off on that for today then. Remember, this book is available in English. There's the copy of it in English. Try and get the English copies. So everything we're doing, you can read along. You can read along what we're doing and it'll be easier for you. So everybody have a look at his copy afterwards and try and get a copy if you can. Oh. That's when it's... Uh, no, just the once then. When, when the, then possibly again later, possibly. But uh, at that first initial moment, it's just the once. You don't keep repeating it. Then later on, later, maybe perhaps at a later time. Oh, then maybe, yeah. Not initially. Just before we round off, a couple of questions have just come. One says, can you verify the types of medicine? That's, uh, it's too long to verify the types of medicine, but basically anything which is derived and made from haram, those are the ones that you can't use. But really for that type of situation, when you're in the situation and you're told what you're going to need, then you can try and find out what that is. But like this, it's impossible. We need to go do a degree in medicine for four years. Is it permissible for organ donation? This is something differed about amongst the scholars regarding organ donation. So it's not something definitive one way or another. Certain things like blood, etc., the scholars, they say it's okay. But other items, some of the scholars hold the opinion that your body, Allah has given you your body as your body. And it's not your right, it's not your right to do what you want with your body. So it's not your right to remove organs from your body and give them elsewhere. That is an opinion of some of the scholars. So uh, there's some differences about that which could be looked into further. Is pain relief allowed? Pain relief depends on the type of pain relief that is used, but uh, generally it's allowed. Pain relief, a lot of these medicines, they have some element of pain relief in them. So it's allowed, it's allowed. But it just depends on the type because some of the pain relief medicines are actually from the haram sources. They're intoxicating basically. Even when women are pregnant, when they're giving birth, that air and oxygen, it's a form of intoxicant. That's all it is. It's a form of intoxicant and therefore they don't feel the pain. So th those types of things are not really suitable. So uh, you can look into the types, as we say, when the situation arises and the particular type you need, then you can examine.